I think it's a great way to get a strong picture of where things are within a company. And when I work with an organization that's that's even considering going through this process, it's really important that we dig deep into their why. Because if, if they want to go through this process just to say, hey, check out this trophy we have on our shelf or look at this logo that we were able to put on our website. It's so much more than that because it is, it's a journey when you go through this process. Right. And that's, that's, I think, too, why the first part of that alignment is so important. Because if you are communicating to them, hey, these are the goals and this is the direction of the company. This is how it impacts our department. This is how it impacts you. Um, and then asking them going forward. Okay, so your actions every day should support the direction of the organization. So letting the employee decide, okay, if these are the goals of my department, these are the goals of the company, what can I do to support this direction? What can I do every day to make sure the decisions I make are in alignment with where we're headed as a company? And circling that back forward. Okay, team, what did you do today to help support our department and the goals in which we're where we're headed? And then just pushing that back on up. And, and it's a cycle. It's, it's a continuous cycle that this is what we're doing now. This is where we're going forward. And how do you help support that direction? And then once the employee knows that, they will be making decisions and you won't have to provide as much direction because they know where we're headed. Welcome to the Improvement Nerds Podcast, where we host conversations about the things that nerd us out with one goal in mind, sharing best practices and sharing techniques and tools that allow us to make lasting change. In each episode, we'll feature a different idea and hopefully through that episode, give you a set of new tools, new skills, and new thinking that'll allow you to change how you do your work, how you lead others, and how you show up in your life. We're so excited that you've chosen to nerd out with us. We hope that these episodes are exactly the things that you need to hear in order to get started in making the improvements that you want to see happen in the world. If these episodes speak to you, please subscribe to our podcast like what we're doing, and leave a comment. Well, I think it's important to set an acknowledgement time during that. So you're going to be doing one of two things, right? You're either going to be celebrating or having a, oh, this is a bummer, we didn't make the list moment. And you need to allow your time in the space for both of those. If it's if it's hopefully celebration, um, let the employees know and plan whatever you can plan. I mean, I think what what employers were probably going through now are vastly different than we were all in the office. So I, I've been part of many different celebrations and it's, it's really what works best for that company, but allow time to celebrate for sure. If you didn't make the list, you need to allow time for that as well. And you need to let your employees know if you didn't make the list. You need to make sure that they know you are going to take a deep dive into those findings and that you are committed to focusing on those so that you can hopefully try again the next year. But if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, it's not about the trophy. Margaret Mead said it best when she shared that one should never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, that it was the only thing that ever had. I couldn't agree more. Let's get busy, Improvement Nerds. we got a lot of work to do. Hey, Improvement Nerds. This is Tom. i got another episode for you with another amazing guest that I cannot wait to introduce to you and um, nerd out with today. So my guest is Angie Redman. 
Angie and I, we uh, have collaborated on and nerded out about so many things. So I'm just going to put a disclaimer out there that this may get, um, you know, quite lengthy. We want to try to keep everything under an hour, but if not, uh, if you haven't eaten lunch or if you're hungry, you might want to grab a snack before you get into this episode because we're going to lay out a lot out there and we're going to have a lot of fun and we hope that you guys enjoy this episode. So Angie, thank you and welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So, so excited. This has been a long time coming. I think you and I have been collaborating since uh, the onset of this pandemic, um, which I think was like maybe our circles crossed like back in March and you and I, we'd been, um, you know, following each other's journey and celebrating each other. And I've always appreciated your support and I just think you're brilliant. So thank you. Thank you. So so, um, let's kind of just set the stage and let our audience know what that topic is that we're going to be nerding out about. And of course, we'll dive deeper on it later, but let's kind of just get that elevator speech out there. What What's our topic for today? What are we going to nerd out about? Great. Well, we are going to nerd out about strategies for organizations to become a best workplace and the impact that employee engagement and workplace culture has on an organization when they're going through the process of earning that distinction. Oh, man. Yes. So the, the, every time you and I've connected on, on this topic, I've learned so much. And I know this episode is going to be just a, a highlight for so many people who are working in this space, trying to um, measure their results and to really fine tune their approach to engaging their workforce. And there's so many things that happen beyond just having an engaged workforce. I mean, when those people are empowered and they show up and are excited about their work they're doing, yes, that, that, you know, is great for that individual, but the customer, the organization, the community that person belongs to so many good things happen as a result of that. And I know we're going to dive into a lot of those aspects in this conversation, but before we do the deep dive on best places to work, I want the audience to have the chance to get to know you a little bit. So let's talk about your journey and how you uh, came to be an expert around the topic of best workplaces. Absolutely. Well, I'll share with you. I'll try and make it as brief as possible because I have been in the HR industry for over 25 years. So there's there's a lot of content in my in my work history, but I love the fact that everything has been building blocks up to where I am at this point. So I started my career in the staffing industry of all places. And I remember going to my interview in their office and I thought, wow, this is going to be great. They're going to find me a job at a a wonderful place to work. And they ended up hiring me to work for them. And so I spent the next 10 years working at this staffing agency and worked my way up through the ranks from an administrative professional on up to, they called it a vendor on premise. And so I didn't go into the office every day. I actually went to my client site every day. And most of my clients were manufacturing. And so I was right out there on the production floor with supervisors and the plant manager and all different people of leadership. So I handled all things HR for the temp and the temp to hire employees. And they were handling everything for the full-time employees, but they included me in all things related to Kaizen and ISO certifications and QS certifications. So it was a phenomenal learning opportunity. 
Um, but I really wanted a bigger opportunity and a chance to make an impact. So I wanted to take all of this knowledge and go work in an organization. And I heard about a fast growing tech firm and they were looking for an HR director. And I was fortunate enough to be hired. At the time they had about hundred employees and I was a big HR team of one. And uh, within a few years, we were over 250 employees with an HR team of three. And I will tell you, this was around Y2K. So things in the tech community were booming. Um, and we worked really hard at corporate culture and employee engagement. I don't really think back then people were defining that as a thing. Um, but I have no doubt in my mind at all that we had it. And if you didn't, around the time of Y2K, it was a revolving door for tech talent. So, so you really had to focus on that. Um, spent about, it's a little over nine years with that organization and we ended up getting acquired by a, another tech company who was looking to make kind of like a, a, a nationwide footprint with their organization. We ended up being their, their first acquisition, but we were their largest acquisition. And, uh, they told us that we were acquired because our employees and our culture were so phenomenal and we did such a great job taking care of our customers. So kind of like that, the comment that you made about if your employees are happy and you're taking care of them, it'll be a direct reflection on your customers. And, and I certainly feel we did a really good job with that, which is obviously why they wanted to acquire us. Um, but as the acquisition took place, my role and a handful of others in finance and some members of the management team, we were retained to handle M&A activity for upcoming acquisitions. So um, got exposed and learned a whole lot um, during that M&A process. And as, as sometimes things like that happen, uh, once you do what you've been hired to do um, with M&A activity, then your role is no longer needed. Uh, so I ended up spending a couple years at home, just being an awesome mom and enjoying time with my children. And I did um, a few years after that was reacquainted with uh, those from the tech company for which I had been working with previously. And interestingly enough, the same leader that I was working for at the tech company, he owned several organizations. And when I circled back with him to say, I think I might want to get back into the workforce, uh, he had shared with me that one of the companies he was working with when I started working with him previously was large enough now that they needed a VP of HR. So hopped back into corporate HR again with about 100 employees and a big team of one. And before I knew it, we had a team of five and over 200 employees. But I remember the conversation when I started to go back and work there and I was given one task and it was to make the environment fun and make the culture like we had it before. Um, we had a great time, uh, worked really hard, but I will tell you the culture was top of mind for me with everything that we did. Um, and I kept in mind that that was my target goal. And uh, I think we did a pretty good job because we did earn uh, the distinctions of best place to work and top workplaces and other awards within our industry several times. Um, but in late 2018, I made the decision to take my passion for cultivating a best workplace environment and decided to go out and launch my own business. And I wanted to work to help organizations through that journey. So through my 25 years of HR, I felt like I had a lot of knowledge on corporate culture and engagement and really wanted to make that the focus of my career going forward. So that's when I launched Strive HR.
what a journey and thank you for taking us on it with you from you know your early career being a student and kind of always being curious and learning in every role along the way i think that's a key takeaway when i hear people in their journey one key theme is you know that the work was more like uh coursework like they were getting their master's degree or their phd on the topic through working in different roles and with different organizations and just being a sponge so i think listening to your journey it was very obvious that with every role that's how you approached it was i'm i'm here to learn i want to make an impact but the best way for me to make a difference is to immerse myself and really learn and encourage everyone else around me that they should be adopting that same mindset so i heard that in your story um, and I think that's something worth celebrating. The other part I heard in your story was that as you were moving from role to role or experience to experience, like each one of them, uh, as you were in them, maybe didn't make sense. But now where you are today, standing, you know, as a bit small business owner and looking back at your career, every activity you participated in added up and was in you know, in design of this future. So I think that was really interesting to a lot of people who talk about where they are today. You know, they always share that it wasn't a direct path. There was a little bit of winding and at times it maybe didn't make sense, but now looking back at it all, it's, you know, it, it was, it happened exactly the way it should have. Absolutely. And, and I now think back to things that happened back in my career and it's kind of that aha moment and you understand now why you had that learning opportunity before. So wouldn't change a thing. Um, I'm so glad things happened the way they did or else I wouldn't be where I am right now. Yeah. You're always been a person of gratitude and I, I love hearing your stories because you are always celebrating and expressing gratitude for the experiences you've had. And I think people listening to you, that's a something I would encourage everyone is whatever situation you're in, try to look for the bright spot and to start with gratitude and think about that experience through the eyes of gratefulness and, and, you know, experience. And I think you're going to be able to reflect on those things with pride and say, Hey, it was tough. It was hard work. And we didn't have all the resources we needed. I was a team of one and I was exhausted all the time. Like if you look at your work in that way, like, I was undervalued and things were slow coming and I didn't have all the buy-in I needed, you know, that, that'll not excite you to want to keep improving and innovating and, and developing yourself in, in a career, but looking back on it, say, here's what I learned and here's the people I met and here's the things I could be grateful for. That's what's going to fill your cup up and make you want to keep doing work like this. And Absolutely. I talk to you. That's exactly how you talk about your experiences is with gratitude. Yes, for sure. So an, another couple of things I heard in your story is a mergers and acquisition experience. So taking two cultures and finding the, the best of both and bringing those things together so that they're complementary and not combative or conflicting or competing with each other. So I think that's, that's gotta be tremendous experience. And then um, going from a team of one to hiring people and growing an internal group of HR leaders. I, I want to hear just a little bit about your M&A and cause there's probably a lot of people right now who are being asked to take processes and, and mix them together. And then also what it was like to be a team of one, because I know people listening to this are probably also in that position where they're just one person and 
I think it'd be fun to kind of just talk about what are some things you remember to that allowed you to be successful when you were asked to combine processes and M&As or to grow and scale your processes from a team of one to a team of many. Any any kind of bright spots or things you can share with us out of those two topics? Yes, absolutely. Well, focusing on the M&A activity, I mean, we're, we're in Indianapolis, so that who's your hospitality thing is, it, it's a real thing. And it, it's something that um, I try and live and breathe in everything that I do. And the the acquisitions were not in Indy. They were they were out of state. So they they see this new person coming in. They've just watched probably half of their workforce lose their job, who they've worked with for a really long time. They see this other person coming in who they do not know at all. And I'm supposed to tell them um, everything's going to be okay. And so I spent more time listening than I did talking. And I would sit down with groups of employees. Well, just talk to me about what it. How are you feeling? What, what what impact is this having on you? And I had just gone through it myself because we had just gone through the acquisition. So I could tell them I've been in your shoes. I know I know probably pretty well how you're feeling right now and what stresses that you're going through. So I just I just became a confidant and somebody that people could talk to. And I found through. The fact that I only got to see them a few times a year, a lot of we weren't doing Zoom calls back then. So um, there were a lot of phone calls. And I only got to see them a handful of times. So I knew that I really had to focus on that relationship building and developing their trust because as my role, I was the liaison between them and corporate. I handled all things HR for our acquired organization. So I was their first go-to. Um, interestingly enough, I ended up I guess, getting a little bit of a hand slap, if you will. I was told that that I was um, helping people too much and that I was holding their hands too much and that I needed to let people figure things out for themselves. And that really just wasn't, that, that wasn't how I handled things. Um, and I respectfully listened to the guidance that I was given um, and then tried to strike a balance between how do I adapt these people to this new culture of this company and still maintain my integrity and the things that I feel are important as their HR contact. So it was it was a lot of work, a lot of listening, but um, I really feel that things went the right way. I wouldn't change that. Um, and as far as growing from a team of one to um, a team of many, I mean, I was so blessed to have the people on the teams that I have, and some of them I've still been able to be in touch with, but it was really important to me when I would be selecting people for the team that their core values and the things that were important to them when supporting an employee somewhat mirrored what, what my thoughts and beliefs were because I our, our number one asset were our employees, and I need to make sure everything we did supported that. But secondly, I knew what my talents were. And I needed to bring people in who had talents in other areas. And I fully believe in bringing someone in, giving them the tools and resources they need and stepping out of their way and letting them shine. And I really feel that the people that we brought on our team were able to do that. And that's what helped us have such a great culture. Thank you for nerding out a little bit about those experiences in your career. And I think your advice around M&A is that for integration to happen, it is a conversation and it's mostly listening and creating trust. And I think in my career, I worked in healthcare and, you know, they've, they're facing some challenges now. And it was already a key theme for mergers and acquisitions to be occurring in that space. And I had experience doing some of that uh, here locally. 
And same exact approach, you know, going up to the hospital who was experiencing a lot of change and really just hosting a conversation and listening to them about, you know, what their concerns were and, you know, helping them to work through the uncertainty and to find that stable ground and to really then put them in the position where their their energy, their ideas are driving the integration instead of yours has the acquiring organization because you really can has a, an organization acquiring another organization, you can get a lot of value from some of their best practices if you're willing to listen to them. So I think what you had said in your M&As, you wanted to make sure that whatever those people were doing before that were creating success, that you as the acquiring organization tried to learn from those things and bring those into the picture so that both organizations were elevated as a result. So kudos for that, I do believe that's best practice and mergers and acquisitions is that dialogue. And then talking about going from a team of one, what I heard was values-based hiring and um, strength-based management. So um, those things, you know, those aren't what we're going to dive really deep in on, but yet again, really important topics in the human resources space is, you know, values-based hiring and making sure that you're hiring for passion and that once you have that individual recruited and onboarded, that you're empowering them and you're giving them the space to practice autonomously and you're developing them so that they can gain mastery. And it sounded like that's how you created successful HR teams in your career. Oh, absolutely. And you can train for the skills. You can give them the tools um, and the education, the resources they need to excel in that way. But you need that strong foundation of that great character on the onset. And I, I think as you were talking a little bit about the, the teams you were creating from an HR perspective, I think I heard you say a little bit about the importance of those people realizing that they were the trailblazers or the people who would cut the path for the organization's culture to follow down, follow down or, or to move through. So though those people and their energy and their excitement about culture was important because if they weren't excited about it, the organization really wouldn't be excited about it either. So the HR people, the, those professionals, they oftentimes are the change agents and the catalyst for creating a robust workforce and a, a culture. And that that's really the topic that we're going to dive deep on is, is culture. And I think you had shared um, in previous conversation with me that one of the tools that you found to be really helpful is the best work for, best places to work or best workplaces framework and survey process. So let's kind of unpack that and dive deep on, on that process. So share, share a little bit about that. Yeah, well, um, I think it's a great way to get a strong picture of where things are within a company. And when I work with an organization that's that's even considering going through this process, it's really important that we dig deep into their why. Because if, if they want to go through this process just to say, hey, check out this trophy we have on our shelf, or look at this logo that we were able to put on our website. It's so much more than that, because it is, it's a journey when you go through this process. So it's really important that an organization understand where we are now and where it is that we want to be, but why they want to be there. So as we go through this, we can figure out 
okay, are you ready to go through a process like this? And do you have all, all the necessary tools to get your organization set up for the information you're going to receive? Uh, there, it's, it's a plethora of content that you get back when you go through these. And from the reports to the open-ended comments, but most importantly, you have to have a strong group that is going to do something with that content when you get it back. So that's where the journey and the process comes in and it loops all back to your why, why you were going through this in the first place. So I think at the kickoff, before you lead an organization down this journey and help them to adopt this framework, it sounds like you start with leadership, commitment, and and the touchstone for the organization as to why is this important? Absolutely, absolutely. And they're going to be your champions through this process. Um, They're going to be the ones that are willing to set the stage for progress going forward. They're gonna be the ones to say, we recognize we want improvement, we're all in, will you join us on this journey as well? So yeah, we definitely start there and to make sure that they know why they're wanting to go through this. So it sounds like once you've got the commitment, that's a really important starting place, especially because you know, as they embark on this journey, one of the first activities is collecting feedback and peeling back some of the layers of the onions to look at reality of what what does the workforce say about the organization and their experiences. And sometimes there's um, some some hurt feelings possibly because I, I don't know if you've had this experience, but definitely in my experience, leaders, especially for big organizations, perceive things to be different than they really are. And when you go out and you do this um, deep dive and interacting with all, as many touch points as you can within the organization, sometimes you the leadership are getting this wake up call, they find out that things really weren't as good as they thought that they were. So this survey process, and that initial collection of data, I'm sure there's mixed emotions. Sometimes you're celebrating and they're doing some really cool things, but I'm sure also sometimes they're finding out that, you know, that the things stink. Sure. Well, and surprises are great when that's good news, right? So when you have a surprise and it's not such good news, um, it's, it's how willing are they willing to accept and to hear what those findings are. And, um, and it's not just the leadership. It's every level of the organization being willing to say, this is an area or these are areas in which we want to make improvements going forward. So just to re- rewind a little bit. So the, the framework, I think I had stated it as the best places to work. Is that the program? There's several programs out there. So um, I I use the terminology of I help organizations who want to improve their workplace or to become a a better workplace because there are so many different platforms out there that you can use. And they are from a regional perspective. So you, you just mentioned best places to work. So best places to work does typically focus within a state. And so they will administer a survey so that everybody taking that survey gets the exact same questions so that they can get a ranking and see how people compare to other organizations. There are there are some as well that are more of a certification process. So they have a defined level of criteria 
so that you can become certified as, for example, a great place to work. So there's there's a lot of different ones out there. And that's part of the process that I go through with a company is let's figure out which one is good for you and for your organization, which one makes the most sense for you and why. Because um, it could be you are trying to stake your claim out in the market as a place that people should or would like to consider working at. It may be that you are trying to um, share with others in your industry a distinction that you have. And so you're trying to move up in the ranks for that. So uh, best places to work has different categories within different industries as well. So there's, there's a lot of different reasons for doing different types of surveys. And so when you go through that process, um, that's, that's part of our why is we talk about why you do a survey and which one makes the most sense for you. I'm glad I circled back to that because I think that's a critical second step in this journey. First, you have that leadership commitment and the focus on why, and then that conversation about your approach, which is somewhat the how, you know, there's a lot of avenues we can take. We have to realize that this is a journey. Um, It's going to take time and there's, you know, probably a multiple different ways we can go, but considering what we know today, What's what approach is appropriate to your organization's goals and how you want to, you know, move through and navigate this journey. So picking an approach, I think, is a critical second step. And it sounds like you're a trusted partner for organizations to to really assess, hey, what's the best way to go about this? Right. Exactly. And then once they've selected that best way then probably the next step thereafter is that initial assessment. It's going in and it's having the conversations or collecting data and feedback to measure your current state and to, through that, identify where your areas of improvement or your high impact areas might be. So so that having that data and having that feedback, sometimes it affirms what the leadership thought and now they they're safe to move forward and say hey we've got this data and it's it's validated what we thought versus holy smokes we would have missed the mark right right so that first part that you mentioned i i've kind of got what i call the four a's so that first part is the assessment figuring out your why figuring out what survey makes best some of these offer different times of the years as to when you can do them some of them are set. You can the, the survey is administered to everyone within this week. So you have to plan around that to make sure, do you have the resources available for, for all the things that are needed um, during that time? Or is this a really busy time of year for you? You don't think people are going to participate? Then let's pick another survey that has more flexibility in when they can administer there. So that's all part of the assessment process which rolls into the administration, which is pulling up your sleeves and and digging in. And and this is where, when I talk to an organization, you have to make sure that you have designated people to help through this process. So it's someone who is actually completing the content that needs to go in the application. It's, you know, you need data for part of these. So you're working with IT, you're working with marketing, you're working with various people within your organization that you need to rely on to give you this. Um, so it's it's about a, I've seen anywhere from 40 to 50 hour process just to complete the survey. So you really need to be mindful during that administration time that you're ready for it. And there's a clear owner and someone who's prioritizing 
the administration of it, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, put this on someone and now make their job 70 hours a week, right? You, if it's important to you, you, you as an organization could show that level of importance by allocating and committing resources that have the carve out to actually do it and do it well. Right. Exactly. So we administer the the survey and we get our results. You know, we get the feedback and it's suggesting focus areas or opportunities for, for improvement. Talk a little bit about, you know, how organizations go about celebrating their bright spots and maybe going about executing and closing some of the, some of those gaps that they've discovered. Well, I think it's important to set an acknowledgement time during that. So you're going to be doing one of two things, right? You're either going to be celebrating or having a, oh, this is a bummer. We didn't make the list moment. And you need to allow your time in the space for both of those. If it's, if it's hopefully celebration, um, let the employees know and plan whatever you can plan. I mean, I think what, what employers were probably going through now are vastly different than we were all in the office so I, I've been part of many different celebrations, and it's it's really what works best for that company, but allow time to celebrate for sure. If you didn't make that list, you need to allow time for that as well, and you need to let your employees know if you didn't make the list. You need to make sure that they know you are going to take a deep dive into those findings and that you are committed to focusing on those so that you can hopefully try again the next year. But if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, it's not about the trophy. And if they're only focused on the trophy, you're gonna find that at this point. So you really need to take, take the time to realize it's not about receiving the award. It's, that's only about two thirds way through this journey, for example. You, you need to allow sufficient time after that to soak up the contents read the contents. I, I tell you what, when I've been a part of these, yes, I look over the the survey data, but I've always spent equally, if not more time looking over the open-ended comments. And if I can share a quick story with you about that, we uh, there's one of the surveys has a section on there where it talks about the relationships employees have with their supervisor. And there were, um, and, and, and these are, um, from excellent to fair to good. So you really don't get to add a lot of content at this point. You're just ranking where you feel you are with your supervisor. And there was a supervisor that this client felt like, gosh, everybody really likes this person. And I really don't understand why their scores are like they are. So we took a deep dive into those open-ended comments. And what we found was, yes, the employees really like the supervisor, but the supervisor was stretched so thin that this person was not available for the employees. And that's what they really longed for. They really wanted to be able to spend time with their supervisor, um, ask questions, be able to go to them for guidance on how to proceed. But what this client was able to do was to realize this, this supervisor has too much on their plate. And as a result, it was definitely a win-win because they were able to identify some key players on the team and promote them up to leadership opportunities within the department and shed off some of those responsibilities off of the supervisor and give those to these employees. 
So the employees that were promoted were able to grow within their role. The supervisor was able to release some of the responsibilities that were keeping this person from having time with the other employees. And then the rest of the employees then found their supervisor more available once all of that process took place. So that's a, that's a prime reason why you can't just look at the content in the survey and make your assumption of what the findings were. You need to dig a, several layers deeper and be able to connect those dots before you come up with a with an automatic plan going forward. But I think it was a win-win for everybody in that department all around once we once we dug deep into those findings. I think that's an awesome example of how change can be facilitated as a result of embarking on this journey. And I think, you know, we've talked about surveying and you know competing and, and trying to be recognized through these programs but there there are many organizations who strive to improve their employees experience without ever enrolling in the best places to work um or any of these programs but so the these takeaways of getting leadership buy-in and commitment picking your approach conducting your assessment acknowledging the results of your assessment and tar- targeting areas and improving in those areas. If you're wanting to improve your employees' experience, this framework, this method, going through those process steps will work for you, whether or not you apply and try to become one of those best places to work, or if you just want to improve your results, these, these same steps, they're going to work for you. Absolutely. Brilliant. And I, so we talked a little bit in our preps session, and this is where things are probably going to get a little bit nerdy, (laughs) is there's a lot of themes. There's a lot of things that employees are saying are important to them now that maybe have changed and look different over time. So I want to nerd out a little bit about some of, get some of your thoughts on maybe key drivers of engagement now and now or then and now so where what those things were in the past and how they changed and maybe look different now so we're going to go there and then there's also this survey fatigue risk and i'm curious and there's also survey bias because if you give it to them on a day and and you know for example it was something that happened outside of work like traffic was bad or uh, Starbucks didn't have their favorite coffee. There's circumstantial things that could really put that person in a mood and that mood carries over and biases their survey results. So the second thing I want to nerd out about is, you know, surveying and taking periodic pulse surveys or just all the other different ways you can measure engagement. So let's dive in first and talk about the drivers of employee engagement um, then and now. So share a little bit, maybe one topic that you've seen like, hey, this is a key focus area. One thing I know can drive results and this is what it used to look like. And here's where I think it's going now that a lot of people are working remote and just work in general is undergoing a lot of change because of the pandemic. Okay, well, I think I might be able to answer both of those through, um, I, I put together this program to help my clients and I call it the ACE strategy. And so for ACE, uh, standing for alignment, communication and empowerment. Um, and empowerment is, in my opinion, it's gonna touch on both of those questions that you ask. So empowerment can be really difficult, 
I think if leaders are concerned about kind of releasing some of that control with, with their employees, and you talk about then versus now, I mean, now we really have to step back. So many people are working from home. We really have to step back, take a moment and think, why did you hire this person? You hired them because they're great at what they do. Um, you hire them because they have a lot of knowledge. They have a lot of talent. So step back, let them do what you hired them for and let them shine. So um, with that empowerment, um, I'll give you, a, give you another example of when you have those tools that employees need in order to be successful. Um, another client that I worked with um, had a customer service group that was really, really struggling with handling customer issues immediately. And it was really reflecting on the customer experience. And so um, the customer was giving feedback that they were not getting questions answered. Employees were feeling like, I can't answer questions because I don't have the tools I need, or I have to go ask my supervisor if this is okay before I share that with, with my customer. So, um, it, it, in that situation, we were able to make sure that employees had all those tools and resources so that they could address employee issues on the onset. But the key driver with that was the leadership saying, we trust you. We know that you can handle this. Go ahead and answer the customer situation. This isn't life or death that you're handling here. This is a customer question. If it's wrong, we will fix it later. But by giving the employees the, you got this, you can handle the situation and letting them shine and do what they were hired to do, empowerment rate soared with this particular client. So um, taking a step back with that, it's, it's also the, the biggest driver is, um, another driver with that, I should say, is communication. Um, so that's part of that ACE strategy. Um, it, and this is something that I've noticed even more so now with everybody being at home than where they were is circling back to those one-on-one -on -one conversations that you have with your employees um, and making sure that you are making the most out of those conversations. Um, now more than ever, we need our supervisors to be able to reach out to employees, first of all, to know when they need to reach out to them, but to make the most of those conversations when they have those one-on-one -on -one, to make sure that the employee knows they're being heard. Yes, I hear you. Yes, this is what you need. And I'm going to take the time to ask how you're doing today before we even talk about what it is this phone conversation is supposed to be about, but really setting that stage for communication going forward. Not sure that that answered your question, but I hope that was going down the path of what you were looking for. It definitely did. Okay. Try to recap it. So I love your acronym ACE. And prior to going out on my own, I was in leadership. And I had a team at one point, it was 16 consultants working within an organization. And, you know, so that that group of people, they looked to me for leadership. And I really um, lacked in a lot of areas. I had a lot of room to grow. And it was through these surveys and these the studying, these drivers of engagement and really learning what motivated the people I was leading and what things they needed from me. Uh, as a person, but also what processes I can create for them really helped me to improve how I led individuals. And, and like you said at the onset of this, really, it was uh, a lot of me um, 
trusting them and giving them the resources they needed and then getting out of the way. So when you were talking about aligning them, so making sure you're giving them direction and and that they're clear on what good looks like, rounding with them and having frequent touch points and check-ins with them and communicating frequently, that was a driver that I knew was important. And then empowerment was kind of, was more about me and having to change my behaviors and has th- that of all those three drivers the that was really the turning point for me as a leader and so many other leaders in that organization was to ask more questions so if a person came to you with a problem you would ask well what are your ideas to resolve it or what have you tried and what were the results or how can we go see this together or what resources do you need to overcome that problem versus, hey, just give me that problem and I'll take care of it for you. And I think that just that switch of being more of a coach and a mentor and and a supporter of someone else really drove that person's engagement. But it also was great growth for that person because they became more self-reliant and were, you know, learning by doing. and, And I think a lot of times leaders swoop in and steal that learning from people by rescuing them or giving them the answer. Whereas they, Hey, if you, if you let them struggle safely and let them fail an environment where nothing terribly bad is going to happen, they're going to learn more than have you, than had you just given them the answer. Right. And that's, that's, I think too, why the first part of that alignment is so important because if you are communicating to them, Hey, these are the goals and this is the direction of the company. This is how it impacts our department. This is how it impacts you. Um, and then asking them going forward. Okay. So your actions every day should support the direction of the organization. So letting the employee decide, okay, if these are the goals of my department, these are the goals of the company, what can I do to support this direction? What can I do every day to make sure the decisions I make are in alignment with where we're headed as a company and circling that back forward. Okay. Team. What did you do today to help support our department and the goals in which we're where we're headed? And then just pushing that back on up. And, and it's a cycle. It's it's a continuous cycle that this is what we're doing now. This is where we're going forward. And how do you help support that direction? And then once the employee knows that, they will be making decisions and you won't have to provide as much direction because they know where we're headed. I love it. And thank you, sharing those kind of key drivers of engagement and what they looked like then and what they look like now and how you as a leader can start to implement new processes or change your behaviors to really, um, you know, focus in on those things and, and to give your employees a better experience. And as we'd already said, the experience you give your employees is oftentimes the, the experience your customers are going to get. So if you don't focus on your people first, your goals as a business, especially around customer service and excellence, those are going to be a challenge and a struggle. So I am totally right there with you that what goes around the office gets around to your customer. Right. Now, the, the other thing I wanted to nerd out about is, you know, measuring different ways you can measure engagement. And there we've talked a little bit about surveying, um, but there's also, you know, doing a once a year survey. So if an organization is, isn't surveying, definitely start surveying. If you're only surveying once a year, realize that your next best, best step is to possibly survey more frequently. But then there's other data points or feedback loops that organizations can tap into to measure their employee engagement. What kind of data 
have you seen or or metrics or outcomes have you seen businesses focus on that allowed them to really assess where they were in regards to employee engagement and actually improve upon it? Well, consistency, it's key. So if you start this process and you're wanting to compare going forward, you have to keep at it. Um, I've, I've heard of organizations that may survey once and either they didn't like the process or maybe didn't like what they heard through that process and then they take a break from it for a couple of years and then circle back. So that's that's detrimental. You really need to keep that consistency going forward. Um, but to talk about the organizations that do the pulse surveys and those those frequent, if, if your employees are engaged in that process, keep it up because you're going to get great content that you can have going forward. I don't know that there's a one size fits all. I think it's whatever works best for that company because I've seen uh, some do the pulse surveys and and soar because of the content that they have found from that. I've also seen um, organizations do that and they definitely hit that survey fatigue and employees are like, great, another survey. But I don't think you should keep, I don't think you should quit trying at that point. You need to consistently figure out what works best for you. And there's, gosh, technology works to our favor for things like that too. There's so many different apps and and other things that, that that employers can implement as a way to get that employee feedback. But just my biggest piece of advice is don't give up. Continue to see if you can figure out what was what way your employees are most receptive to giving you their feedback. And I I mean the good old fashioned one-on-ones, I think those are so important. It, you, you may not get the exact same question answered by all of your employees, but you're still keeping that line of communication open. So I feel the surveys in tandem with the other types of communication gathering that you can get from your employees, whether it's department meetings or one-on-ones and compiling all that. And as a leadership team, talking often about what you're finding and possibly even seeing patterns through the content that you're giving back and then making decisions going forward. So I I love that you were kind of talking about like, hey, this reminding us that this is a journey. You've got to start, you got to be consistent and you got to be willing to learn as you go, right? And every thing you do, stop and ask yourself, okay, what was the result? What did I expect to happen? What was the result and where do I go next? And it's very iterative, this approach to driving and improving engagement within your organization. And the only way to really get there is to do it gradually over time, not to try to improve by leaps and bounds, I'm guessing, but to improve at a pace that's appropriate to what the organization can manage. And I think as they go on this and they're embarking on this journey, they'll start to see signals and data will start to change within their organization that suggest, hey, you're going the right direction. This is working. So what are some of those landmarks or milestones or things organizations are going to see to say, keep it up, keep going? Like, for example, uh, employer brand reputation or internal fill rates. What, What are some things that measurable things that an organization could look at to say, hey, what we're doing and what we're working on is actually working versus, oh, oops, we missed the mark. Let's go back and recalibrate and see if we can get that one to respond. Well, that's where the consistency of doing the same type of survey is beneficial. If if you find one that works well for you, for your organization, I should say, you can hone in on certain measurement areas that you're trying to focus on to see, um, and it depends what specific question they're asking. But for example, if something that you're focusing on has to do with an area within um, training and development that you know you lack 
that you know you need to make improvements on. So if you're asking that same question year after year after year, you can see what those trends are going to be. Um, and I, I do see a benefit though, when you're doing the consistent surveys like that, that you're adding some others into the mix. I have uh, worked with a client who had multiple different surveys they were doing, and the questions were not word for word the same within the survey, but the message behind them was the same. And the responses that they got back was vastly different. And it was so interesting. And it had to do with the time of year. Um, they were very similar questions, but due to produ due to production within certain departments, the, the workload that, that that organization was facing significantly impacted what the findings were within this. So um, those data points, you just really as an organization have to figure out what, what are some things that we want to work on and see if those questions that you're asking are supporting those. Hindsight though, you can't give up working on the other areas in tandem with that. You can only work on so much at one time, right? But you also need to make sure you're not ignoring some of the other areas because then they will be the area the next go around that you're gonna have to focus on because you didn't give that attention going forward. So it's really kind of a gray, era, gray response and I'm not trying to be too vague with that. This is where the customization comes in as far as working with the client to figure out what their, their needs are at that point and what areas they need to see improvement on circling back to their why as far as why they're going through this. I think that's really insightful to say, hey, there's a lot of things you can measure. You have to appreciate that the more that you try to measure there's an incurred cost because there's time and energy and effort to collect that data, analyze that data and actually do something with it. So let's not empty the bucket here and say, here's everything you could potentially be measuring, but be very calculated in what you measure and why and tie it back to your organization strategy and, and your goals and the purpose for even embarking on this journey. So I think that was really insightful to say like, you know, be, be calculated and ask the right questions or ask the questions that allow you to measure the things that are important to you and to your, your organization's success. And when a company is first starting out, they may not know that. If they have not yet conducted these surveys um, or asked those, those informal questions of their workforce, they may not know yet exactly what that's going to be. But I would think as leaders within the organization, they'd have a general idea of what their focuses and their goals should be going forward. And it's, it's always um, supportive for an organization once they first do these types of surveys and they get that content back and they're like, oh, yeah that makes sense that that area we scored kind of low on because that's a goal that we had already set going forward. We know that's an area we need to make improvement on. So it really just helps validate the direction in which you're headed. Um, and I think you do find more validation than you do surprises with these. I, I have that same kind of experience in, in working with or organizations intuitively or instinctively. They know where they're opportunities are they either because they weren't employed themselves and they remember being frustrated about that certain whatever it might be whether it's you know training and development or uh total rewards or whatever key focus areas they probably could remember and put themselves in the shoe of the employee and and know what the, where the frustrations are so i i think you're accurate in that most times this is validating now you have to you have to do this validation step. We're not sure. saying, 
Hey, you know, go out on a whim and, and trust your intuition, like use your intuition to be, um, the direction you go and then collect data to validate what, what you thought was occurring. And, and I think you're right. You're, there are going to be some surprises, but they're not, not going to be overwhelmingly. And the only thing you discover, you're going to see a lot of, Hey, we are doing this and we are actually good in these areas. So I think that's, you know, don't forget it. And about the, the importance of celebrating success as you go about looking for opportunities to get better. And it's great these um, to, to recognize the fact that when you have these surveys, you can't just judge everything based on the content of one, like I talked about the open-ended comments, because that really gives you several layers deeper to be able to take a look at this and help you be able to set things going forward. Because if you go by just the basic survey content without looking at the open-ended comments, you could go off on a direction that wasn't even the correct direction in which you should be going forward. So it's it's really important to take a look at all of the content. And then if you are doing more than one, blend that survey content together. Take a look at the different reports and see how does this department compare to the same, to the how does department A compare to department A when we administered the surveys together? And be able to see and take take a step back and say, okay, now I understand why they scored well in this area, but not so well in that area. We we launched a new product, or we were really heavy into training, and we know now that was an awful time to administer that training because we were so busy. But you really need to have a good glimpse of, and that's why it's so important to involve as many people as you can when you're reviewing this content. So if you just have one person looking at it, they may not have those glimpses of data to be able to support the direction of why it's one way versus the other, but just be willing to take it all in and then be able to make decisions rather than basing it off of one piece of data in the survey. I would love this conversation. There's just so much insights that you'd shared with us today about how an organization can go about improving the employee's experience and the, the journey that that needs to be embarked on and what it looks like for organizations to go through this and what they'll learn and how they're transform how they will transform along the way. So I cannot thank you enough for coming on and nerding out with me. Everything you've said definitely. Oh gosh, like I can just send this to so many HR leaders because I I know conversations I've had with them that they were looking for resources and all the things that you've talked about is how really how do we go about becoming a better organization. So I know this episode is going to be well received by organizations and specifically HR leaders. So for those people who nerded out with us today and loved everything you said, how do they connect with you? Best place is on LinkedIn. Uh, they're also welcome to just good old-fashioned send me an email. It's Angie at strivehr.net. Beautiful. Well, in our show notes, I'll make sure that all your contact information's in there. And I know that through this conversation and through whatever partnerships might occur on the other side of this episode, that you'll do great work for whoever reaches out to you. You're you're a gold mine. And I, I'm so glad to have had this episode and just had the chance to feature you. Thank you. I appreciate chatting with you about it. I love it when people want to talk about how to make their organization a better workplace. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.